18 and the text is verses 16 through 18. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Let's take one more moment to pray. Father in heaven, send us the Holy Spirit that inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words so long ago. We pray that you would use these words, the very word of God, the word of life, to transform us, to make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. There are aspects of the scripture that are breathtaking, perhaps even mystifying, make us puzzle and wonder. The Apostle Paul, in what we have just read, makes clear that the church lives in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Other New Testament authors draw out that it is dark, 
all around, that the world that we have been saved from is full of darkness, perversion, cruelty, wickedness. And we live there. Like we saw last week, we actually don't even need to open up the Bible to be convinced that we're living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. News reports will do. Newspaper articles describe just that to us. It is astonishing that in the crooked, perverse darkness of first century Christianity, not in Philippi, but over in Corinth, where that crooked, perverse darkness had very much infected the church to the extent that there was drunkenness at the Lord's Supper. Paul could begin his epistle by saying this. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul could stand up to the pervasive cultural darkness that included tyranny of a despot, paganism, prostitution, polytheism, false worship everywhere. Could stand up and say into that darkness, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything we believe hinges on a weekend. Good Friday, a very, very black Sabbath and resurrection Sunday. God came into this world as a man, suffered alongside mankind, and on that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you see his life come to death on the cross, and he is buried and remains under the power of death until he rises in triumph over sin and death. And Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I believe that that needs to be our guiding light as we endure life amidst a crooked and perverse generation and our guiding light as we come to verses 16 through 18 of Philippians chapter 2. Because you see here in these verses, Paul is talking about two things, the sacrifice of faith and the result of faith. The sacrifice of faith is in verses 16 and 17, and then really throughout verses 16 through 18, we find the result of that very faith. And I don't want to give short shrift to how verse 16 begins, that we are holding fast 
the word of life. Because that needs to just be a tremendous encouragement for you. One of the most upsetting features of being a parent is coming to that first funeral that you think it's appropriate for your children to attend for whatever reason. Death of a grandmother or a beloved aunt or uncle or maybe even a, a brother or a sister. But at some point, children come to a funeral where there is mourning and grief. Largely unanswered by the various rituals that take place during a memorial or a funeral. Children are exposed to the reality of death in a significant way. I know as we get older and older and older, the TV stars that we grew up with pass away sometimes suddenly and we think about them. More and more people pass away, people that we don't expect to pass away pass away. We get closer and closer to our own grave, more and more of those that we know and know of go to their grave. And we live in a culture that shows its disdain for life in so many different ways. Not just something like abortion, but the reckless ways people live, all sorts of lifestyles that lead to death and premature death. People refusing children and not wanting to risk bringing more souls into such a terrible world. To all of this, the Apostle Paul says, hold fast to the word of life. God is the God of the living, not the dead. Even the great enemy death with all of its sting ultimately is not an obstacle to the God of the living and not the dead. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He still is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And when we think of those who have gone before us, we realize that they right now are still a part of the church. That our God overcomes sin and death and speaks to us a word of life. So be encouraged by that. Hope amidst the darkness of death and despair needs to really inform us, needs, needs to animate us. Why is scripture constantly coming at you? Why is Paul constantly coming at you saying, be glad in the Lord, rejoice, O you righteous, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice, which is how these verses come to conclusion. We'll see in a moment. Because he's holding fast to the word of life amidst death and darkness and a culture that in all of its ways celebrates death and darkness. Paul says, hold fast to the word of life. And I think Paul knew how to think about the word in the way the Apostle John spoke about the word. So we see in scripture certainly the word of life. But we also say Jesus Christ himself is the word of life. Because Jesus Christ himself is the resurrection and the life. 
So I am informed by the word of life, the special revelation of God, but I am united to the word of life himself, the resurrection and the life. And he says to me, even if you die, you live. Because I am the resurrection and the life. We are defined, identified by, united to, informed by the word of life. Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, will bring us who believe to the Father. He is the exclusive way. There is no one else who even claims to be the way, the truth, and life to the Father that is presented in Scripture. The word of life to whom we hold fast. And once again, we see the need to focus on the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your response to it comes immediately in our text before us. Really, the rest of these verses, the rest of verse 16 and all of 17 and verse 18, aren't things to proceed to unless you can say you're holding fast to the word of life. Death is all around you. To some extent, death is in you. The death rate of human beings is still 100% of 100%. So much of what you do, including putting a seatbelt on or not speeding as you drive, revolves around avoiding death. And Paul here says, hold fast. To the word of life. Don't proceed in the crooked, perverse, dark world. Turn from it. Be informed by the word of life, the word of God, and come into union with the word of life himself, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, who has died on the cross to forgive your sins, who offers you his perfect righteousness by taking claim of him and coming into union with him and gives you life everlasting which will be the case through resurrection even should you die trust in him believe in him maybe it's the first time maybe it's the 5,000th time it's imperative it's necessary that you believe in him now before you move on to what else God has to say for us in these verses when you get to that point where you say, Jesus is my only hope in life and in death. He's my comfort. It revolutionizes every last moment of your life. Your, hot, your entire life is transformed. You go through the looking glass. You go through the door. You go through the wardrobe. Everything is different. And we see that in the testimony of the Apostle Paul in these very verses. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice 
and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. You go to the cross, you claim Christ as your own, you are in union with him. The word of life is your word of life. And the life you give is such a peculiar one because it involves dying every day. It's a nonstop sacrifice. It's cruciformity taking up a cross and bearing it for each moment of your life. That's what Paul's talking about. He sees his life as a sacrifice that is poured out on the sacrifice of the faith of the Philippians. Whether he's looking at the Philippians or looking at himself, he sees the Christian life as a sacrifice. me what's always so convicting about this sort of language is that I read all that goes on with sacrifice in the Old Testament and to be honest my stomach gets a little bit queasy because it's talking about dismembering animals and I know that it's speaking about preparing a sacrifice but it's actually describing butchery dismembering animals how to let the blood drain, then like sprinkling the blood and letting the blood spill here and there. And then all of that is often finished by burning the entire thing. I read those sections and I'm, I'm just so thankful to be a New Testament Christian. I'm so thankful for this nice, neat building that we have where we don't expect to see blood and guts. And But here's what's so convicting about that. What Paul is saying here means we should be thinking more about sacrifice than they did in the Old Testament, not less. The Old Testament had sacrifices for specific things and for specific times. What Paul is getting at here is that every moment of every believer's life is a living sacrifice. You know that from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God... Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Every moment, not being conformed to the dark, perverse world around you, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Every moment of life, ought to be a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 says something similar. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. How often? Continually. When should you praise God? All the time. And it's no less true here in Philippians where Paul is as we've noted, in chains. And at towards the end of Paul's life, we read in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. 
Paul says you should be thinking about sacrifice all the time, even though the bloody sacrifice of the Old Testament has indeed passed away because of the once-for-all sacrifice that has come through not a Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Sacrifice is now occurring constantly as the body of Christ thinks about its life in him, the word of life. So let's just look very quickly at how Paul describes this. He's referring to Numbers chapter 15, which describes various sacrifices to God being accompanied with a drink offering, a, a portion of wine poured onto the animal sacrifice or whatever kind of sacrifice it is. And Paul's saying, this is how I think about myself. I look at you, the church, the Philippians, I see your, your service and your faith. I see your lives. I see what you do. I see your actions. I see your thought life, your activity, your household life, your family life, all of your acts of devotions, personal devotion and private devotion and worshiping in public. I see all of those things, all of your living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, all of your striving to be blameless, above reproach, pure, not complaining, not arguing, but living in this harmony and peace alongside one another. I see all of that as a sacrifice of faith. And the way Paul sees himself is a drink offering poured out on that sacrifice. Giving us reasons to stop and say, we should be thinking not less but more about sacrifice in the New Testament. And it really does change everything. I, I don't remember which Puritan said this, but he was right. On the floor of hell is written, deserve. But on the gates of heaven is written, grace. The floor of hell says deserve. The gates of heaven declare grace. That's, in a sense, what Paul is saying. He's saying, you've been saved by grace. Hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the gospel message and to the word made flesh, Jesus Christ himself, the way, the truth, and the life. Come into union with him. Have that forgiveness and everlasting life he promises. And stop talking about what you deserve. Because in coming to Christ, you realize, I deserve wrath. I deserve judgment. I deserve damnation. But by grace, I've been saved through faith. I have eternal life. Delivered from being a child of wrath. And there's still a place for sacrifice. Not a sacrifice of atonement, but a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A voluntary sacrifice in which I say, Lord, you've claimed me. You've secured me. You could never love me anymore because you gave your only son for me before I was even born. And you'll never love me any less. There's nothing greater that you could do than give your son to save me. 
And now I take everything about me, every moment I live, every breath I breathe, every ounce of strength, every thought that courses through my mind, and I offer it to you as a sacrifice. It's my joy to deliver it to you as my spiritual worship. It's my delight to live as a sacrifice to you in the shadow of the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And you'd be shocked by what happens, and every Christian who's a Christian will testify to this in one way or another. You come to Jesus with that disposition. I deserve hell by grace, I'm going to heaven. I deserve death by grace, I'm going to live forever. I'm a sinner by nature. Through union with Christ, I'm perfectly righteous. Jesus Christ took up a cross, and he calls me to take up a cross. The result of that is joy. Certainly, at the end of the age, right? Even unbelievers sort of get this right to some extent about us, that the Christian faith is about pie in the sky, down the line, sort of so to speak. And, and Paul speaks not about pie in the sky, but he does look to the end of the age regularly. I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. There's Paul boasting in the right way again, he's saying, think about it, Philippians, in verse 16. At the end of the age, I'll be thrilled to see you standing in the righteousness of Christ after your resurrection from the dead, ascending up into glory to be with Jesus forever. Realizing my activity, my life, my service, my sacrifice as a Christian was not in vain. For all eternity, I'll be thankful, rejoicing in that at the end of the age. Future joy. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, one day you'll experience great joy when Jesus returns and makes all things right. Look at verses 17 and 18. Look at how strong these verses are, over and over, repeating joy four times in two verses. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad in the Lord. And Paul's calling your attention to something phenomenal about joy. It can be shared. Maybe you've realized this to some extent. Maybe watching a comedy by yourself as opposed to watching a comedy with a group of people. But sometimes you don't even realize something is funny until you're in a group of people who are all laughing together in joy. Sometimes it's funner to watch something funny with a whole group of people because of this amazing phenomenon that God has included in our design that we can share joy. And Paul is saying, think about me. Think about all the persecution and travail I've endured, all the ways 
I've been poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of the faith of the church. Think about my current chains that I am presently in bonds. Think about the fact that in all likelihood I'm going to be martyred eventually. I just don't know quite when. And that the road to that point is going to be full of travails and persecution and difficulties and tribulations. Think about me in this situation. Literally writing to you while chained to a Roman prisoner under house arrest. And put my joy before some of your own concerns. As I've taught you to do in having the mind of Jesus Christ. Share your joy with me. Make my house arrest, make my chains, chains of joy. By participating in the gospel with me, you from Philippi, me from house arrest. What a vision of the Christian faith. The sacrifice of faith, the result of faith, not only being future joy on the day of the Lord, we look forward to that, but present joy, shared joy. Us speaking to one another with the sacrifice of praise on our lips. Us speaking to one another with the sacrifice of service. Here's what I'm doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I have to make money to provide for my family, but ultimately I'm serving the Lord Christ. My every minute on the job. My every minute in the neighborhood. My every dollar, my every penny, my every thought, my every ounce of energy, the way I exercise, the way I eat, it's all before the Lord, before the face of the Lord, a sacrifice. It results in joy that you are there to join in. You know, what's between that Old Testament bloody animal sacrifice and this New Testament that we live in that should be even more full of thoughts concerning sacrifice. What's between them? And you know the answer. Jesus Christ on the cross, Christ and him crucified, at the center of history, at the center of creation, at the center of salvation. Christ at the center. Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ who is the new wine in the new wine skin. Christ who is the door. Not only the door to salvation, but the door from the Old Testament to the new. Christ who is the mediator. Christ who is your mediator. Christ who is the only mediator. Christ who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The Savior of saviors, the shepherd of shepherds. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the earth.
It was to him alone to die an atoning death, to earn salvation by sacrificing himself to satisfy divine justice. The exclusive and only one to be the sacrifice and the sacrificer. Paying, enduring, absorbing the wrath of God, all the while being obedient to a point of death, even the death of the cross. That was for him alone. His day is our day of atonement. But we live remembering that always. Always in the shadow of the cross. Always declaring Christ and him crucified. Seeing the issues of the day, the perversion, the crookedness, the darkness. Observing it, understanding it, grappling with it, struggling against it. But insisting on saying, in one way or the other, the answer to this comes to me through Jesus, that perfect sacrifice that has forever satisfied divine justice and resulted first in death, but ultimately in resurrection and even ascension. And in the shadow of the cross, I live and see my own life as a sort of sacrifice, not a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, but a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, realizing that Christ has secured all this for me. And no matter the darkness, no matter the death, no matter the despair, I have my comfort in life and in death, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray.